0: Hello, and welcome to the Doubt Society podcast, uh, episode three. Um, today, I am very excited to announce that I will be in conversation with Thomas Sheedy. Thomas is the uh, founder and president of Atheists for Liberty. Thomas, thanks so much for coming on.
1: Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, yeah. I um, So just, I guess, a little bit of intro. I've been following your organization uh, probably since around the time it was founded i'm not sure exactly how i stumbled across it um but looking at your um, board of advisors i'm sure somebody in that group might have shared it or i might have come across it through there because um so many people admit uh in that list i greatly greatly admire and so i started following the organization and uh was yeah it was all about it and so i thought when i started a podcast i was like i wonder if thomas would be willing to join me uh, join me early on. So, uh, yeah, super glad to have you. So for those who don't know about Thomas Sheedy, they don't know about Atheists for Liberty, um, would you start us off by telling us about your organization and why? Yeah. why you Yeah,
1: so, so first off, I want to say again, thank you so much for having me on the program. My name is Thomas Sheedy. Everybody, I'm the I'm the founder and president of Atheists for Liberty, we're a 501c3 organization that stands for free speech, free thinking, and freedom for all. We have various principles and programs that we do, and we've been having a, doing a rock solid job so far over nearly two years since our public debut, and um. And we we had it. We definitely had a lot of help from those advisors. Those advisors really came in, retweeted our stuff, really saw potential in what we're trying to do. We're anti-woke atheists who care about individual liberty. We want to promote a free exchange of ideas. We support and defend the Constitution of the United States. We want to uphold religious freedom and defend secular government. A lot of good classic, um, you could argue classically liberal principles uh, that really do stand the test of time. And we want to really ensure um, that the fight to maintain those principles is still held very strong. Um, so that's what we do at AFL. That's what we're about.
0: Yeah, that's that's great. So I um I share many of the of the same values. Um, but I wanted to before we get into kind of the values and 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 the nuts and bolts of of atheist for Libya. I kind of wanted to hear uh, your story. Um, so what molded Thomas into the person that wanted uh, to start something like this? So I thought maybe we could talk a little bit about your background in terms of okay. spirituality like were you religious um have you always been a non-believer and then maybe after that transition into how you came to arrive at the political views mm-hmm. um, which you now hold
1: right i guess going on to my religious background first i was uh up until i, I was 15 years old i was kind of like a milk-toast catholic i was raised in the roman catholic church by by family members my mother was very is very devout um, always has, I think always will be, very, very Catholic yeah, that's in her nature. Um, and she always wanted to to drag us to church every Sunday. Uh, my father, uh, he was kind of a little, a little less milk toast to me. He's a little more serious, obviously, um, about his faith. Um, he's not an atheist either, but he, he's, he's still Roman Catholic. I'm the only atheist in the family, so I was Catholic for 15 years. I was, I was uh, driven to church. Uh, I was taught that it's very important to be a believer, but I always really questioned the narratives of the Catholic Church. I always questioned in my own mind, at least. Um, Some of the uh, tenets of Christianity and the benefits of belief, um, especially around the time when I was receiving my confirmation, um, I I, I really started to, 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 to question the idea of why is it that the Roman Catholic Church in the 21st century is still getting upset and using their feudal perspective to be mad about a secular government's take on gay marriage. Uh, this is around the time when when gay marriage was a real real hot debate in the United States around 2011 to around 2013-14 and I was I was still Catholic up until 2013 and I I saw it as a ridiculous uh, ridiculous waste of time that the church was was driving its resources into a cause that they were absolutely going to lose in uh, I also saw a lot of Gen Z people that I went to middle school and later high school with who didn't even take the tenets of, of Catholicism seriously yet kept going to church only because their parents wanted them to go there, thus perpetuating religion and Roman Catholicism's life even further. So I was already really, come 2011-2012, really questioning Catholicism, and I remember I was studying for a regent's exam back in 2013, when I was, when I, uh, this was my freshman year of high school, and I remember watching a Bill Maher clip Uh, I think this was one of his 2005 specials on YouTube where he was talking about how just like you could drill poison and mercury out of your body, you can do the same thing for Catholicism. And the moment I saw that, (laughs) that was really the moment I became an atheist. I actually remember that moment in time that I I lost it all. And um, I, I ended up calling myself an atheist around a month or two later and then got into the activism components and started to learn more about the atheist community Uh, But that that was it. That's how that's how I became an atheist. So I was religious for 15 years, questioned the church, had that big moment, lost it all. And and then I just started getting into organized atheism. So going into then uh, some of my work inside of the atheist community, I uh, later on when I when I started getting more involved in high school, I wanted to form a secular student alliance chapter at uh, at my school. But it was it's very culturally conservative, socially conservative. And this was during a completely different culture war just a few years ago. And there were some um, administrators and officials, even in a secular public institution, um, that didn't want to see an SSA chapter pop up. So I I went through a lot of red tape and and legal trouble to to get this club established. And eventually, under threat of legal action from the Freedom from Religion Foundation and a few other groups, I got the club that I wanted, and I got a $5,000 scholarship. After I graduated high school, um, when I was 18 years old, I became president of the local American Atheist chapter in my area, a, the local atheist meetup group called the Long Island Atheists. I ran that for around um, a year and a half, um, and then uh, moving on to university, I ended up seeing um, the really having a full perspective on the decline of the atheist movement and the eventual death of the atheist movement through internal um through internal problems. I really saw this problem a few years prior, but I, I I wanted to um later on um do something to rebuild the Atheist community after that damage, so then I formed Atheists for Liberty. So that's that's just a very brief uh timeline yeah. uh, as to as to uh how I got to where I am today.
0: Yeah. so let's unpack a little bit of that. Um <laughs> you said you said your mom was a Roman Catholic. My mom was also yeah. raised as a, as a as a Roman Catholic. Um Everyone in my family is still religious. I'm also the sole, the sole non-believer.
1: There you go, uh, Yep.
0: As one would. Um, I'll share just a little bit about my story. I went evangelical Christian my whole life um, and was actually, had decided to become a pastor and went to Bible college. Wow. Um, and <laughs> yes, yes. And while in, uh, at, well, at university, um, I uh, went through a deconversion process and mm-hmm. um, stayed stayed on actually at the university because I was already a couple years into my degree. Right. I really enjoyed what I studied, so I stayed and and got a degree in biblical studies and theology and comparative religion. Um, so I just want to share a little bit of that as like a point of uh, solidarity there. But still, the only one in my family who's a non believer. Everyone else still very pious.
1: I um... actually have a, <laughs> quite a similar background in terms of you when it comes to university. Actually, uh, I just graduated um a few months ago back in may um but even even i was in the middle of my undergraduate program i was i was debating leaving um because i i thought well i'm just learning a bunch of social justice nonsense on the most part i feel like i'm not actually learning much in the realm of, of 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 things that could actually benefit my career in public policy or government or political science and i'm just being told that you know i'm i'm i am continuing a legacy of oppression due to my skin color and this is at a public institution this is not like a private school this was at a an a accredited public institution that is receiving taxpayer money so i i debated leaving myself too but i thought okay i'm already so far in um, might as well just get the piece of paper and get out
0: yeah yeah and that's a real i mean that's a real point of concern when i graduated so i graduated college in 2016 um, mm-hmm. so you said your freshman year of high school was 2013? Was
1: that what you My said? freshman year of high school was 2013, so okay. I graduated high school in 2016.
0: Yes, yeah, yeah, so we're mm-hmm. we're four years. I'm just four years uh, ahead of you there. Um, <laughs> so uh, 2013 was the year I also had my like deconversion, like, 2013 and 14, um, mm-hmm. but I had for the same reason, one of the big reasons I didn't go into graduate school was because I took a look at the state of academia and thought, why in the world would i want to go time myself and all of that so i i i completely understand where you're coming from there because it's uh we can talk about that a little bit a little bit later on um maybe about with what's going on in austin um but uh before we get to there so you said um i just want to go back to this a little bit you said that you uh, heard that bill maher quote um and that kind of you realized that you were able to you could just dispense with it it wasn't didn't have to be something that was constantly in you had you been having doubts before that um yeah other things like two years was it biblical doubts was it moral theological like what were the sort of the things that kind of cropped up for you theological and political
1: um because i was starting to get into american politics around that time and the gay marriage debate was was uh, you know really on my mind and i i as somebody who has grown up in this modern, secular world and just has been forced to go to church, the church was never really an integral part of my life. It was more of an integral part of my mother's life and other family members' lives, you know, these boomers who who, who still lived in an age where the church was very important. I was so disconnected. Sure. And so it was just funny to see an institution that was alive during the, the medieval ages, you know, get involved in a... Modern debate uh, when it came to an issue of a secular government that has nothing to do with religious influence in the first place trying to legislate policy i found i found it to be kind of funny i found it to also be a giant contradiction and so the kind of the seeds of doubt were already in by 2011 and 2012 and and come 2013 when i was when i watched that bill Maher quote that's when i lost it all Um, and, and I'm pretty lucky. There are a lot of people, maybe, maybe, um, you know, you're a good example of this who were really devout, extremely devout, um, Christians who had it way worse, who had, you know, maybe had some stuff going on in them psychologically afterwards, like losing their entire worldview, losing their, their entire um, belief system. I guess, I guess with me, it wasn't as hard because I was already nearly there.
0: Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. Sh- talk about it like almost it like it was a nominal cultural sort of, sort of, uh, yeah. Mine was definitely more worldview. I mean, in as far as you could be, uh, complete, you know, it, it was, it was traumatic like <laughs> to go right. through the whole process and, and, and go through that. Um, but yeah, I mean I still think it's uh it's still difficult though once you've been raised in it, even if you were really in or really not, to be able to even just see an option where that's not uh you know, where you mm-hmm. can treat it as if it's not as if it's an option, as if it's not mandated. Um so when you said when you got to high school you wanted to start a chapter, um that you said secular student alliance, right? Or secular the student uh, alliance. Yes. Yeah. And you said you tried to start it and you had to go as far as getting the Freedom for Religion Foundation involved to get this done?
1: Yeah, I tried for around a year and a half to two years. I got caught in a lot of red tape um, and and administrative processes where I I didn't really know what my rights were. Um, There's a very interesting piece of legislation that exists called the Equal Access Act. And it allows any high school student to form whatever club they want at any federally funded high school. It doesn't matter how much money the school has. doesn't matter how much, how much, uh, you know, uh, how much uh, personnel an institution or a school might have. The club can exist. If you want to start a Black Lives Matter club or KKK club, um, you know the, the school has to provide resources for you to have that club. Um, but I guess when you're in high school, you're far younger. You don't know your rights as much. You're kind of a child in a system that you've always been a part of. And so um, it took me a while to, to really realize how I could fight back easily. But I was going through that process and dealing with a lot of frustration. Um, but this was around a time, too, when the secular, stu- when, when the atheist movement was still fairly healthy. And this is right before Reason Rally 2. So right before the real downfall of, of new atheism. So I was, I was in that moment where this, it, it was really cool to be a part of the secular student alliance. Really hip to form Secular Student Alliance chapters, um, to be in that counterculture. And eventually, yeah, I did, get, I did get what I wanted. I got the Freedom from Religion Foundation involved, as well as a few other organizations that sent letters um, to the school district. And I got then flown out to, uh, to Wisconsin, and I received a $5,000 check, a scholarship from um, Dan and Annie Laurie, and I was their 2015 Student of the Year um just based on <laughs> based on my own persistence uh which which I, I find to be interesting although if i could go back i change a few things i, I for, number one i get a haircut and number two i learn <laughs> how to write a better speech uh i was a big procrastinator back then but i'm still i'm still very uh still very glad and appreciative of what i did but so, that, that that was my time in high school
0: yeah so did you was the place where you lived a Fairly religious community, like were you like in the Bible Belt, and that not
1: the Bible Belt. Not... Okay. I, I live on Long Island in New York. Okay, um, but my area is fairly socially conservative, um, sure. and the school district that I'm in is very socially conservative. Um, even among the Democrats, right, and the liberals that 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 uh, attend this institution and work at this institution, the vast majority of them are religious, um, and atheism even in the 2010s, while it was hip and it was growing. It's, it was mostly something that was, that was growing amongst young people and not amongst baby boomers, not amongst Gen X. And so I was not surprised at all to see that opposition. Um, but, uh, but I'm glad that I was able to eventually learn what my rights were, um, to get more involved and to fight back and win. Do you think that, Having to fight through all
0: that just deepened your resolve. Like, did you just kind of want to start this, and then by the end of it, you were like, "Wow, I see how badly this is needed." Based on the resistance you got,
1: so I was all—I was already deep into the, um, into the atheist movement. I was watching countless hours of content, old lectures from the '90s that have you know the converted VHS tapes, uh, David Silverman lectures. Dan Barker and Annie Laurie Gayle are giving speeches at their conventions, uh, humanist um, humanist talks, uh, you name it. Various counterculture YouTubers like Thunderfoot, Sargon of Akkad, and Jacqueline Glenn, and Atheism is Unstoppable. And so that was that was my life. I was the school atheist. And so me forming the Secular Student Alliance chapter actually is just, in, in a militaristic way, me showing my service to the movement me doing what i can on my little local high school level to enhance the movement to grow it and to make sure that it continues into the realm of success
0: yeah and it turns out that ended up being you know you end up with student of the year and ended up with all that opposition Mm -hmm. isn't this so funny that sometimes people want to keep things quiet and yet by trying Mm -hmm. to keep things quiet they draw attention to it yes and it just turns into this big old thing whereas if they hadn't have Met it with so much resistance. Who knows? I
1: would have probably not gotten that scholarship. Yeah, you know.
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's that's wild. Yeah. So um. So, during all this, let's see here. So you're you're working through all this, and you're non-religious. At what point did you inherit your political beliefs? Like, are your parents this? Is this sort of their political um outline, or did you also have a moment where? You know, did Bill Maher also put you on to <laughs> I got yeah. it
1: Maher also helped me with politics. But um, so when I was, when the atheist movement was very healthy, I was just when I, my realm and interest in politics really just concerned issues relating to secularism, um, like Ten Commandments on the public square, the allowance of a high school atheist chapter, um, gay marriage. Right, because I really only see there, there is there are technically secular arguments against gay marriage, but but I don't think they're strong enough as compared to say pro life, um, secular arguments. So so I would consider that to be one. So I was very passionate in the gay marriage debate, Ten Commandments on the public square debate, and and just everything in the atheist movement. And so I ended up registering as a Democrat, um, at that time solely because of those issues. I wasn't interested in any other issues whatsoever. Once I started to see the division, though, after graduating high school in the atheist movement, um, Atheism Plus, Elevator Gate, how that contributed to the downfall of the atheist movement that I saw at Reason Rally 2, us losing millions upon millions of dollars, focusing on issues that have nothing to do with secularism or atheism at all. Um, Building bridges with one political group, but not another political group due to personal political differences that have nothing to do with secularism. All these various concoctions, it it made me also explore other political topics and political issues um, that made me realize, huh, I don't think I'm on the political left when it comes to the majority of, of American political topics. I'm on the Right. And so um, come around 2018, 2019, I started to really openly identify, especially to my um, my friends and colleagues, as a Republican. Um, and but, but overall, my core values and what I fought for, even back in high school, still rang true to this day. I'm still a hardline secularist. I'm as militant of an atheist as you can get. I believe in a separation between church and state. Um, but I also... Um I'm not a fan of illegal immigration. I think we should have a wall on our southern border. I stand for gun rights. I stand for freedom of speech, which used to be a liberal issue in the 60s but has now become a conservative issue today. Um I think that freedom of religion is very important too. Um well I always have believed that. Um so so with a lot of these topics I realized, okay, I'm, I'm with those evil, bad right-wingers uh, now, and um, that's that's how I kind of evolved in, in, in the wrong politics. My parents really had nothing to do with it. Um, my mother is, I, I would say, pretty hardline conservative, um, and my father is, I would say, just a moderate. He's voted for Republicans. He's voted for Democrats. Um, he doesn't like any extremism in any part of the political spectrum, um, and so when my parents also saw my political evolution, they kind of They kind of liked it. They kind of saw that I was also coming at it from an anti-extremism kind of perspective, too. And um, in a way, I think it made them also respect my secular efforts as well, that they didn't see that I was just some random progressive pushing a progressive agenda. No, I I care about secularism and atheism. I never I I never joined the secular and atheist movement because I wanted to be, you know, a progressive activist. Um, I joined hand in hand with progressive activists during the age of the atheist movement because I put my atheism and secularism first, and uh, I I think that's a full roundabout when it comes to my politics now.
0: Yeah, yeah, and mm-hmm. so that that kind of you kind of touched on this, but it would seem that so much of the atheist community, especially now, and uh, and hopefully, and you know, organizations like yours are doing the work to turn this around. But it would seem just the vast majority are overwhelmingly liberal and pretty and usually far far left yeah. it would seem yeah, to even, me not even I not even liberals that would always a, be like yeah. far
1: leftists and you know, i people, mean yeah.
0: yeah i've signed up for like newsletters for like um center for inquiry you know a lot of these like major you know major organizations and then i get mm-hmm. their newsletters and i'm like w- what 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 what? like i that's
1: <laughs> not your I, dad's center for inquiry that's not that's not even your center for inquiry from a few years ago no it, and yeah. yeah
0: and i i'll come into you know see those articles or um i'll look at like my local chapter and i'm just looking like what's on the books like the book club and like what the Mm -hmm. meetings are about and what you have to do or not do to go to the meetings um and i was uh, yeah it's just i was like what what is is this is this seem to be the case so i have my own theories about why this is but what does thomas sheedy think about why is it that Once people arrive at that, at atheism, they seem to just naturally progress towards the left, even on the even the far left.
1: So I think it has to do with a few things. I think it has to do with the past culture war um, that we were in. Um, If you were an atheist back in the 90s, 80s, 2000s, even a a small chunk of the 2010s, the early 2010s, you could say, um, you weren't really that welcomed on the right. I'll say that. Um, you really were, uh, you were seen as a degenerate. You were seen as a evil, satanic, materialist, secularist, uh, who didn't care at all about preserving the values of the Republic. Um, and so the left just happened at that time to be more welcoming to atheists than the right. Um, I'll also say that there's just a, just, if you look at, um, Pew Research, if you look at uh, various different polls, you'll just see that it always happens to skew left. And I think think maybe it always will skew a little more left than right. Um, But I would say back in the age, uh, back in the new atheist days, when the movement was very, very popular, when it was in its prime, when the four horsemen, all four of them were alive, Hitchens included, you would see Republicans and Libertarians at some of these conventions. You would see the idea of atheists going to events like CPAC normalized. People were movement centric and they were reactionary because they wanted to make sure that this movement and the acceptance and normalization of atheists in the country was successful. People put that mindset first because if you're in the atheist movement, you want to make sure that you fight for atheist causes and, irrespective of whether you're on the political left and right. But once we started to accept radical feminism, Once we start to accept social justice, the narrative of Black Lives Matter, and other issues that had nothing to do with the atheist movement at atheist conferences, in atheist spaces, people pouring their mental problems as well into conferences and spaces, claiming that there were things happening at the conferences that really weren't happening, Um, it led to our downfall. There was a Trojan horse that came in, Um, we let the horse in thinking that they're full of a bunch of accepting um, people who wanted to change the world. Um, the movement died, and so the narrative too that if you're an atheist, you have to be on the left is still now continually perpetuate, uh, continually perpetuated, um, which is even worse now um, because these people have gotten only more authoritarian, more anti-freedom, more anti-liberty in the process.
0: Yeah, I I, I agree. I um, so we've brought up the the term new atheism a good. A good few times um mm-hmm. so for those who might not know um tell us a little bit about new atheism and you've mentioned the death of new atheism and yeah. you seem like you've defined it around this p- particular point and i i kind of always saw it as, like saw it as like sort of gradual die off and you kind of identified this point so maybe mm-hmm. talk a little bit about what new atheist is and how it came to be for maybe those who don't know um sure. and then what was it that you saw as the, the death um specifically that really kind of mm-hmm. cut it off
1: so new atheism was a, politic, a phenomenon in Western politics on the most part, and also swept across the world. Um, there was Organized atheism always existed. Uh, if you look into the past in the 20th century, there were activists like Madeleine Murray O'Hare and Anne Nicole Gaylor who were really, really seen as extremists back then, who were pushing the idea of atheist normalcy and separation of church and state. But they were in such a different environment, and the marketing was different too. So if you were an atheist in 1998 or 1999, if you thought, or if you were a person paying attention to American politics, if you thought of atheists, you thought of Madeleine Murray O'Hare, who got murdered and buried in a unmarked grave in Texas, you know, with her her bones scattered and only found a few years later, because her murderer could his murderer could avoid the, the her murderer could avoid the death penalty. That was what was atheism. Uh, that was what atheism was uh, in the 2000s, on the most part. But then a few years in, especially post 9/11. There were four big authors that came into being. There was Sam Harris. There was Christopher, the late Christopher Hitchens. There was Richard Dawkins, who's arguably the most famous atheist in the world. And there's Daniel Dennett. They produced four books that swept the West. Um, they all, I think, all of them were New York Times bestsellers. And um, and they ended up rejuvenating. This this former organized these former organized atheist entities that really died off due to things like Madeline's death and other stuff. It made atheism become more mainstream in the West, and so all these different organizations, five hundred one c three nonprofits like American Atheists, the Freedom From Religion Foundation, the Secular Student Alliance, the Foundation Beyond Belief, um, uh, numerous others, uh, they ended up getting millions upon millions of dollars in funding thanks to the efforts of these four gentlemen. And numerous other uh, intellectuals have have popped up as well. Um, it was it was a very interesting time, and there was a journalist in two thousand six who called this phenomenon the new atheism. And um, I've, I wish I wish this phenomenon continued even into uh, even into twenty twenty one, but it died out. Um, I think a little early in its infancy so so new atheism was really at its its prime in the 2000s going into the even the early 2010s we were getting millions upon millions of dollars we were setting up meetup groups in local towns across the country we were helping out ex-muslims around the world helping students form chapters at high school and college campuses um it was really cool to be an atheist at this time and we were having these amazing conferences Conferences in the U.S., conferences in in Canada, conferences in the U.K. Well, there was also a conference that happened in 2011 in Ireland, the World Atheist Conference. This happened a little over 10 years ago. And at this conference, there was Richard Dawkins and a few other big speakers, but there also happened to be uh, this speaker named Rebecca Watson. Rebecca Watson runs a, a blog called Skeptic, and she also has a YouTube channel. She uh, hung out with a lot of people at this World Atheist Conference. Um, and usually when you're at an atheist conference, you usually stay up till four in the morning. Um, at uh, the hotel bar, everyone usually gathers there. And then when people get tired, they gradually move up to their rooms. Well, come here comes 4 a.m. and Watson decides to go to her room. There's a gentleman that happens to follow her into the elevator. And while they are in the elevator, the gentleman kindly asks, this is apparently according to accounts that Watson actually made um you know would you like to come back to my room for a cup of coffee she says no um and he consensually leaves the elevator and then later on she leaves the elevator go to her room they both go to each other's rooms they don't i don't know if they talk again or whatever you know polite ask for sex um declined whatever it happens all the time at conferences well watson later on blogged and then made a video and said that this is an example of sexism in the atheist movement that this is an example of systemic sexism and misogyny everywhere. That if you go to an atheist conference, these these evil men who like to request <laughs> request you for coffee in the room, you know that's 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 the evidence of rape culture right there. Uh, I'm kind of exaggerating things a little bit, uh, but but this was a movement that ended up sprouting within the prime of new atheism called atheism plus, and you had numerous far left what you would argue today as woke bloggers and activists claiming to these established and growing nonprofits that your conferences are filled with sexism and racism you have too many men or you have too many white people or you have too many people with this background or that background and therefore that must mean that there is bigotry somewhere at your atheist event and what these people ended up doing is is they ended up saying okay we're the real progressives we're the people who want real change and we want to improve your events Please put us on your boards. Give us time on your podcasts. Um, Let us blog for your organizations. Give us power. Give us power. And um, even though uh, these people originally started out as just mere bloggers attacking the atheist movement on the side, a few years later, come 2016, June of 2016, these people took over the entire organized atheist movement in the United States. What was new atheism, a a really rich, healthy movement sweeping the modern world died because of this infiltration. And around that time, I just graduated high school. I wanted to get more involved in this new atheist movement. I spent years and years and years obsessing about this community only to see it die. That's ridiculous. Atheism is growing, religion is shrinking. Religious extremism is still a problem. People still haven't been accepted in in the world and even in this country for being atheists. We have a lot more work to do. And so I was frustrated. Come 2016 and into 17 and 18, I was um, asking all these atheist organizers around the nation what happened. Why did we fail at Reason Rally 2? One um, official in the Reason Rally Coalition secretly came up to me, whispered into my ear that it was social justice that was the problem. And so I, I ended up not feeling so good about that. I ended up just going back to Long Island and building my local group and doing things my way. Um, but I knew that I was doing it in a post-new atheism. And I, I knew that we needed a new movement, though, a new a new rush, something something again with that reactionary flavor to kickstart this fight for godless acceptance in the country and around the world. Um, and to do things differently than what a lot of these organizations did, to not let the Trojan horse back in. Um, and so to continue on, what was New Atheism? I founded Atheists for Liberty. And yeah. uh, that's what New Atheism is. A <laughs> uh, very long explanation, along with a long rant, um, probably going into the next question or two that you're probably going to ask me. But that's where New Atheism was, and uh, New Atheism died um, because of wokeism. Wokeism killed it. It it was called it was called um, you know third wave feminism back then might have been called fourth wave feminism critical social justice, um, black lives matter acceptance transhumanism whatever you know I, I don't yeah whatever whatever they call it, um, they, there were a lot of different terms stuff like that led to the collapse of a apolitical vibrant reactionary awesome movement um, that was in the process of changing the entire world.
0: Yeah, so I, I think it's very interesting. I did not. I've seen the change within mm-hmm. certain of these organizations and sort of the, you don't see, I feel like quite as many conferences as you used to. They don't seem to attract the same sort of attention. Uh, and I think a, a part of that, of course, has to do with COVID. Um, but also it was, mm-hmm. it was before that though, like you're saying, it was it was very since clearly- 16,
1: Since 2016, the numbers went down, right? That was that was four four years before the coronavirus pandemic. Right. Um, so and,
0: and yet simultaneously we have- you know, there's a book coming out, I believe, in just a month or two. Um, if it's maybe, it, maybe it already came out. It was about the rise of the nuns, so N O N E S, the nuns, yes. Um and about how, you know, this is an ever increasing, quote unquote, religious demographic of people that yeah. um, are the fastest um, rising religious demographic in the United
1: States. Um, and come 2016 and 17, there was no established, strong, healthy force to mold the growth of the nuns into a um, voting block, into a, a vibrant, established, I wouldn't say entity, but, but established thing, for lack of a better word, in the United States, um, it wasn't there because the movement died. So so I, I was really worried I saw. I continue to look at Pew Research. I continue to look at data. I continue to see that that these numbers are not changing at all. Why? Would, why? Why are we going to let a bunch of social justice hacks, um, end up killing that the molding of the largest demographic by a factor of ten in the United States, the largest growing demographic, especially among our generation. Um, it's not. Yeah, it's not changing. The nuns are growing.
0: Yeah, and I think it's. You know, I think it's unfortunate. And- in some ways that the atheist movement has been hijacked so entirely by pop mm-hmm. politics. It's almost as if you can't divorce the two. Um, sometimes I wonder if you, if you even can, um, mm. and it's also, you, you'd think no one has ever read Ayn Rand either. <laughs> um, but, uh, part of this, I think is an interesting, I, I've read about this in the past. Do you think there's this difficulty in getting atheists organized because of the type of people who become atheists in that so many i feel so many of us tend to be very individualistic um you know very much just kind of want to you know we don't want to wake up and go somewhere on Mm -hmm. sunday morning and gather with a bunch of people and all repeat the same thing all the time because we don't need that sort of repetitive assurance um and I've, i've heard people talk about that so do you think that that's the case, and that it will always be difficult to organize non-believers, or do you think that that's uh, that's 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 not? Um,
1: I don't think a, that's a the case. Block. Actually, I, I I think you could make that argument. In maybe some of the early years of atheism, because atheism, because it is not, it wasn't part of the norm. It was seen as odd, and so atheism and atheist events sometimes did attract odd people. Right, in inside the atheist community, you had the GamerGate debate and the 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 some of the fem cell v incel weirdness happening also within some of our stuff. You automatically do get outsiders, people that are that are abnormal, um, at least within the context of society, coming into some of these reactionary movements. But overall, not really, because when New Atheism was healthy, we were filling up entire stadiums. You had entire five hundred 3 organizations making millions upon millions of dollars. We had healthy structures. Um, So you know, if anything, I find this to be weird, because if that argument is true, then you would think that we'd be successful now, and that we weren't wouldn't have been successful in the 2000s and into the and the um, 2010s. So I, I don't, I, I, yes, there are there are some things about atheists that that maybe do make organizing atheists difficult, but not so difficult to where it's impossible, because the past has been able to show that it's been successful but social justice made it a problem. That was a real problem. Yeah, um, yeah. If, if wokeism wasn't a factor, I think I think um, the atheism would still be fairly healthy as a counterculture.
0: Do you think another like sort of uh, blocker may be that atheism is still very difficult to make or develop a voting pattern off of, in that I still see issues, mm-hmm. a lot of issues, um, and it's usually from Democrats um ones that are still um I think reasonable and you know mm-hmm. great great thinkers that are doing all sorts of that are doing great work and then um i all but then also when you start looking at a lot of it I find myself very much uh wanting to vote Republican uh, so much in fact that that is like yeah. where i I tend to lean now um despite what was four years ago i was wanting to support Bernie and, you know, was right. it's, it's just, it seems it's gone since 2016, you know, it just seems it's every, the, the, the political landscape has changed mm-hmm. so much, but it, now it's almost difficult to, uh, you know, it just depends, I guess, how, which particular issue, if you become a one voter issue, I guess, to make mm-hmm. you go Democrat or, uh, or, or go Republican. So do you think so that's this
1: the, is, um, this is entirely based on the movement and, and who owns it. Um, we have something great, Actually, in Washington right now, I don't know if you've heard of this. We have something called the Congressional Free Thought Caucus in the U.S. House of Representatives. Yes, It's filled with numerous members of, of Congress um, from various areas of the country. Um, so we have some. Di- we have diversity in gender. There we have diversity in race. We have diver- diversity in geographic. We don't have diversity of thought, however, in the Congressional Free Thought Caucus because every single member of this caucus is part of the Democratic Party, and they lean progressive. That's a problem. And it has nothing to do, on the most part, with Republicans just being more religious. Yes, Republicans are more religious. The GOP, yes, is, is more religious compared to, the, compared to the DNC. It has to do with the fact that you, had, you have people in these structures, in these positions, that haven't engaged in enough outreach to the right. It started to happen a little bit in 2014, 15, and 16. Um, David Silverman, who's the former president of American Atheists, he took American Atheists, when he was president of that organization, to CPAC. Um, He actually did what I am doing now, um, normalizing the idea that you could be an atheist and be a conservative. If the movement ended up splitting their resources 50-50, half of it to engaging the left, half of it to engaging the right, you would have a decent base and even a few potentially House members or maybe, maybe not yet House members, maybe give it a few years, but people in state legislatures at least and local politics who are members of the Republican Party who would be out right now supporting secular policies in the country but because the woke people own the movement the minority of normal people that might still be in the closet or in the shadows of the movement trying to keep some portions of it alive they can't do that so it, it has entirely to it, it, it has nearly all to do with administrative decisions and this is why when i go on nearly every single interview to talk about issues like this and to talk about atheist for liberty i go at it from a nonprofit administrative perspective Um, Because you'd be surprised how little social justice and gender quota and racial quota decisions that are made in local old 1990s-like offices that we still happen to own (laughs) um, can impact entire cultural trends in the country. And that's exactly what happened. That's why I want to see organizations like Atheists for Liberty grow. I want to see more nonpartisan efforts happen. To make secularism more normalized in the country, because then you won't have that problem. You will have atheists who proudly vote Republican, who are also out of the closet about where they stand, even today in this new culture war. Yeah,
0: I I think that's a great and worthy goal. I I think probably what strikes me is also a limiting factor in that the Free Thought Caucus, which I was thinking of when I was talking about many Mm -hmm. of the Democrats who I admire, um, I wonder if there's still even now that stigma amongst Republicans that if they openly associate themselves with something that is mm-hmm. at all secular, if they're going to take a major hit on, in their voting block. Um, do you think that's the case? Have you heard from anyone even in government who is afraid of that or they truly have said, I've tried to join and I, I cannot get in well, to
1: answer that the answer is yes. We actually have heard that. And that is the exact reason why our programs and our infrastructure at Atheist for Liberty needs to improve. It's why we have this established entity here. We know people in media and in government who want to be out, who want to you know, support things like this, but, but the infrastructure simply doesn't exist. Why? Because the organizations that have existed for decades, who still have those million-dollar budgets... They don't want to do it. Why? Because they care about social justice more than the mission of normalizing atheism. If they cared about the mission of normalizing atheism, then there might be Republicans on the Free Thought Caucus right now.
0: Yeah, yeah, I I, uh, I, think that could be the case. And, uh, you know, that's possible.
1: I... I've been to Lobby Day. I've been to Secular Lobby Day on Capitol Hill. I know what needs to be done. And I know that if enough resources were put into various different initiatives and endeavors, and I operate in the GOP, too. I know that this can succeed. I'm yeah. just the loudest one right now, openly, at least in public, admitting it.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree. I think just even amongst myself, I know a fair amount of people who are you know, non-religious, but they're not, they don't subscribe to wokeism and they no. they don't want anything to do with it. Um, and they're just wondering, what in the world am I supposed to do? Because they feel, mm-hmm. you know, because a lot of these, you know, a lot of these, like, i consider myself liberal on lots of you you know pro-gay marriage pro-legalizing marijuana like so many huh. of these things that are you know would have put me on the left but then there's so much that pushes me back the other way but i think mm-hmm. i truly think that if the republican party and they've already started to do this I, I i do believe but yes would you know just knock it off with some of the you know the stuff, the religious right would just tone it down yeah. and just continue to try to focus on being the party of the working class and on just accepting you know people regardless of religious affiliation. And um, if they
1: say, "Hey, we're not doing the social justice stuff. We're not we're not the crazies over here. Come join us." Right? We we we're, we're, we're going to accept you. We we have religious diversity. Imagine if they went more in line with the anti-wokeness.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, look you at know? Virginia. Yeah. They what A lot of
1: anti-CRT activists got involved in the Greg Youngkin race, yes. Youngkin race in Virginia, and that's what made Republicans win there.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. I was ac- actually – here, I'm about to uh, admit this publicly. Uh, I was actually just at the uh, um, National Conservatism conference conference oh Did great just, i wanted
1: to go there I, I wasn't able to
0: i was looking i thought i thought maybe i'd see you and i was like if he uh, I to I my yeah i was like if he doesn't yeah. reply to my email if he's at this conference i'm gonna find him <laughs> <laughs> but i think by then you guys had already reached back out um yes. but uh yeah and it was very interesting to you know to get to talk to a lot of different people and mm-hmm. I, I could just tell even from just the, you know it was still majority religious but, the... but it's
1: becoming secular. Yes, it's, it's, you have this young, zoomer kind of anti wokeism, anti feminism flavor that automatically has a secular tone. Even with with you, even if you go to Turning Point USA conferences with Charlie Kirk pretending to be a pastor on stage, right? He's not even Christian. I'm just joking, but he isn't even. But yeah. you have. The secular undertones that are there. You go to CPAC, secular undertones. You go to Freedom Fest, secular undertones. It's new. It's, 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 it literally is the perfect breeding ground for things like Atheist for Liberty. So when I started going to CPAC on my own, when I started going to the Turning Point Student Action Summit on my own, I felt like I was at an American Atheist Convention when it was healthy. I felt like I was at the Reason Rally again. If I was at the 2012 Reason Rally, rather. Yeah. And so I knew. We can we gotta set up Atheists for Liberty in this current culture war right right now in this environment. We can grow and generate a we we can grow and generate a non biased, um, non partisan atheist organization. We can also establish the idea of an atheist right too, but by establishing ourselves right now in this culture war. The literal difference though right now between them t- still talking about religion stuff and religion stuff and them. Versus them talking about secular stuff more in just a few years, four or five years from now, is resources. Hence why we need more people right now to join Atheists for Liberty, to get on our volunteer committees, to get on and bulking up our programs. Because it's really important. People's involvement in what we are doing right now, and I operate in all these places. I run Turning Point chapters. I'm, I know the people who run CPAC. I, I'm, I, I know some of the people who run National Conservatism Conference. I know exactly what needs to happen here, but we need more people in the fight. That's what's going to get atheism normalized on the right faster and thus normalize atheism normalized around the country because you have normalized atheism on the left and the right. Then, boom, we have a purely secular country with with no theocratic efforts really bolstered up. Um, We got to get this process started. It means people getting more involved now. Yeah. Um, And these conferences are great places for us to really get more people. And national conservatism was uh, was I heard it was great event. I wish I could have been there
0: yeah it was it was it was it was lovely i uh you could see the clash as well between the two groups because then yeah. the, the whole dialogue of the conference was surrounded a lot about let's put aside a lot of these differences and first just you know come together on even just a broad political yeah. and uh and just political but principles just these broad principles um yeah. you know
1: that gives way for secularism
0: yeah, and 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 you had on stage during the the main the primary night um, two deeply religious individuals, and then you had Douglas Murray, atheist. Um, yeah, yes, yes. Who defines himself? The last I saw, as a Christian atheist. Um, although I did hear him recently say he wished it were true, which I found interesting. In him. Yes, um, which
1: I—that's which one of my few disagreements with him. I think I think that only hinders our efforts. I I I. I I think he's sincere and i think he's awesome i up i i uh, i admire him but i i'm just not a fan of the christian atheism kind of thing because then it makes it look like atheism is a bad thing uh, yeah. which it isn't
0: i'm sort of mixed on it to a degree um but the other individual on the stage was dave rubin so here yes. you have and who also from
1: the mo- originally involved somewhat in our movement
0: yeah and was non-religious i don't know what he is now i think he's <laughs> pseudo-religious maybe i can't recall what his most recent uh, spiritual update was but still two yeah. people both individuals who are gay um which you know here on stage at a conference filled with uh yeah. republicans and libertarians and i think and with 10, secular backgrounds yes with secular backgrounds and we're the two main speakers on stage with mm-hmm. these other two uh individuals so i i thought that was very encouraging um as well um so uh yeah i i, I think i think that's a and going back just a little bit, just to touch on the idea, is because I think it's an interesting topic. Um, the idea of the Christian atheist. So I, um, part of, I have this, still have this great interest in religion and in, in biblical uh-huh. text and biblical studies and criticism. Um, that's why I stayed on a university and that's part of the background mm-hmm. of this podcast and, and such. Um, so to me, I have this great admiration still for the Bible. I take this, it is a, I, still have a great love even for the bible and for these religious texts and i i i don't fully accept the you know the kind of broad paint stroke that it is you know religion is constantly at all times has been a source of evil it's never contributed anything it's never given anything of interest um and so the idea of like this christian atheism in this you know i, I see a lot of that in alignment with like the conservative movement to a degree um so do you so do you still you're at this point in your life i guess this is more of an individual question do you find um at any way like value in scripture or value in some of these religious traditions even if you don't accept the dogma of them um whether it be just the moral backgrounds or um some of the teachings or what's kind of your 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 feeling on that
1: one of the reasons i think jordan peterson i think was so popular in his in his you know upcoming fame 2017 onwards is he was able to popularize scripture and popularize religious texts and stories in a secular world um because even though peterson is seen as like this this christian figure um he he really is actually a little more secular Uh, than than people may think. Like, I remember Matt Dillahunty asking him a few years ago at a Pangburn philosophy event, like, do you literally believe in the acceptance of God and Jesus, you know, that they actually literally exist? He said no. He basically said no. I think he's basically actually an atheist um, who thinks, who personally thinks that humans need religion. Um, I think he personally, as an individual, knows of the conclusions of the universe that we really don't know if God actually exists or not. But that he's... Afraid of humanity taking that leap because he might think maybe he thinks that humans with their animal instincts and with their need for stories can't make that full leap into atheism. The problem is, is that that doesn't matter because the statistics are showing that we're leaping into it anyways. That is the conclusion where Western society is going, at least, yeah. and where, where a good chunk of humanity is going. Yeah, um, I do see some value in Scripture. I do see value in stories all throughout human history, not just the Bible, but various other religious texts, um, you know, and various other mythologies around the world. My only issue, and this is my big issue, especially as an atheist activist, is I want to see the idea of being an atheist normalized in conservatism, in the United States, wherever you go, that you won't face a stigma um, just for not believing in God. Um, And my problem with this Christian atheist title is that it makes it look like atheism is is a bad thing. That automatically, Christianity must be automatically good, automatically awesome. That, you know, see, even atheists love Christianity. And therefore, it can, it perpetuates the narrative that if you are a godless person and you don't have any spiritual or religious foundation, that you're not really... Um, a moral person or you know some could say you're not really conservative or you're not really in favor of liberty or whatever and that's my problem it delays the normalization of atheism in these spaces that are so desperately needed for us to be in and that's my real problem i understand where douglas murray is coming from um, and i by the way i admire the man this is somebody who i would love to get on our advisory board Um, like that's how that's how much i deeply respect douglas murray Um, but I just think that that's really bad strategy. Um, identifying as a Christian, I think it's also disrespectful to Christians. You know, I, I I live with Christians. I grew up as a Christian, even though I wasn't as fervent in in faith as others were. You know, to be a Christian is to accept, um, you know, uh, that that God exists, that Yahweh is a thing, and that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You know, a a literal divine Son of Yahweh. You know, and that also that you have the Holy Spirit and what whatnot, you know, denying that and then just using, you know, Christian as a label, even though you don't believe that. I, I actually view that as kind of disrespectful to actual believers who I do carry a great amount of respect um, for and agreement on when it comes to non-theological issues. You know, um, I'm not a Christian, yeah. so I don't identify as one. Yeah, um, I don't believe in God and I don't believe in Jesus. So mm-hmm. that that is dis. It would be disrespectful to the Christians I know if I called myself one, and that's my. Mm-hmm. So so I think it delays the progress of the normalization of atheism and secularism on the right and in other spaces we're going into, and I also think it's disrespectful to Christians, and um, so that that's yeah. my full take on that.
0: Yeah, yeah. It would seem that it is a, of course, a bit of an oxymoron, um, and I, I kind of see what he's doing when he talks about that. There, um, you mentioned Jordan Peterson. I I I. I also, I I really admire Jordan Peterson. Um, saw saw him speak in person, um, (laughs) once. Uh, actually have a signed poster up on the wall there. Uh, rule not rule eight, excuse me, for those who are in the know. Um, but I, yeah, I, I really appreciate what he's done in terms of presenting biblical stories, but from a secular narrative. Um, because really, yeah, he's never crossed that line. You know, he's clearly has engagement with these stories. Um, but there's a reason you still see comments like praying for Jordan Peterson and his family, right? In YouTube, because videos. they know he's
1: <laughs> this secular Western man of science, atheistic guy who happens to sympathize with the Christians.
0: Yeah, I think he sees a lot of value in those in those stories, and um, and, and and you know, to you know, to a degree, you know, rightly so. I you know, mm-hmm. um, but I what you said about delaying the acceptance, I think that's true, and not just not just in. The United States, mm-hmm. um, and you mentioned this earlier, but abroad, um, especially in countries uh, that are uh, Islamic in nature, um, yes. you know. I but I think we have to, to a degree, of course, do it here first before we can then. I hate to say export, but you <laughs> know, before we can, it's. I don't want to. I'm not going to say export. I want to say before, it's like setting an example. You know, to, to, right. this is something that should be should be allowed. And to me, you know, that's a that's a dear issue to my to my heart because I had my own experience and it was hard enough as it was in the United States, which means it wasn't difficult in the grand scheme of things, (laughs) you know. And I just can't even fathom the people around the you know the the globe who have these you know incredible experiences, just incredibly difficult experiences in terms of not being able to even think the way they want to think, not even having the option to go and find a community. Uh, Thank goodness for the internet um That that is beginning to be a, a, a you know a portal for people. um If you spend any time on the ex-Muslim Reddit page, I mean it's just it's it's
1: wild. It's, it's wild. I've wild. had you know, it, and it's it's annoying for us you know that we can't always help these people because uh, Atheists for Liberty we don't operate internationally. We don't have the resources to do it. We are trying to rebuild the American atheist movement um but we are partnered with uh, many other organizations and we um, have friends in other places around the world who are working as hard as they can to help um atheists in need um and this this is my this is my issue i don't want to normalize the idea that that being an atheist is a bad thing oh because we're in a new culture war because oh atheism was so 2012 or it was so 2015 and now we're we're talking about these issues so so let's not really call ourselves atheists anymore because it's not it's not cool to call yourself an atheist anymore think about this though atheism is still growing the nuns are still a thing even though it might sound so 2013 that statistic from 2013 hasn't changed um and there are people literally being killed around the world Simply because they don't believe in an invisible magic man in the sky. Because they don't believe in a god. That's crazy. That's that's a violation of human rights. Yeah. And yeah. and more and more institutions, organizations, and individuals need to do something about this. And you're right. We do need to set that example here at home.
0: Yeah, and, and to that point, uh, I saw on your website just looking over it again. Uh, yesterday, you were talking about, uh, you know, like these Blue laws that are still in place or blasphemy laws that are still on the books, even in the United States, even though, of course, they're not enforced. But the fact that they're even on the books,
1: so stupid,
0: I, I that's just to me, <laughs> that's that's embarrassing. I mean, and
1: that's why secular activism, even in government, even in state legislatures, is still a necessary thing. We yes, we need to oppose blasphemy laws happening in, in other parts of the world and the old world. But there is still lots of stuff. Even if it looks so 1.0, that does need to ha- happen here, you know. And we are an organization that's trying to do that. We're trying to build the infrastructure and build the resources to make these programs um, that we can engage in to defend people's, you know, right to not believe, um, necessary and proper.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. Um, so one of the one of the great themes of this, uh, one of the great inspirations, I should say, for this project um and, and this is I've read about this on my blog. Um for me in my own life was Christopher Hitchens. Um and uh has meant more to me on an intellectual level um than any other person I've come across in my reading. And he wasn't the first person I came across and he certainly hasn't been the last, but has certainly been the most meaningful, not just in in you know his conversations about religion, but just in his personhood. Um so you know you could talk about maybe I was, I have to I almost have to bring up Hitch it's almost become a theme now but yes. um did you did did Hitch uh have a strong impact on you or if one of the other new atheists did who was it that uh that really you really admired
1: so i'll mention others but but um on Christopher Hitchens it's been nearly 10 years since his passing and a month it will be 10 years since yeah. he died of cancer and i think the world um has not been uh, at least at least the world of religion on the most part hasn't changed um, We, I, I, I feel like we need him now more than ever um, right now and I think there are plenty of people in politics philosophy and religion that would agree with me on that point um, I discovered who Christopher Hitchens was a few years after his death um, I wanted to uh, when, I was, when I was still a, a child Uh, Around 1516. I wanted to get a copy of God is not great. And I wanted to uh, really dive deep into the book I wasn't making money back then though. So I had to get my parents to buy the book Um, uh, My father however didn't want to publicly give me the money in front of my mother Because she knew my mother would have a fit and would want me to throw it in the dumpster (laughs) Um, But I ended up getting the book anyways uh, eventually and and reading it and uh, diving deep into it and and watching countless hours of lectures um, from the man in debates and um i admire him deeply he is out of all four horsemen i admire him the most um and i hope he is remembered uh throughout the centuries for his contributions to political discourse and thought and um religious discourse and thought uh there are also other people who i've looked up to and revered um you know uh, some if you uh look at my past podcast interviews i've um i've mentioned david silverman quite a lot right. i'm actually interviewing him uh I, I i think this is being recorded and not live streamed but um as of uh tomorrow from the day that this is being recorded i'm actually interviewing um yeah. david silverman former president of american atheists um he ended up getting ruined and removed from the movement due to this woke infiltration. I'm interviewing him tomorrow in the future of nonprofit atheism, and um, he was a great. Uh, he really impacted my life because I modeled my activism uh, when I was leading local groups off of his activism, and even some of what I do at AFL, I model it off of what he used to do um, at American Atheists. I really do admire that man. Um, he he is like the activist nonprofit version of Christopher Hitchens in all respects. Um, but also I commend, uh, people like Richard Dawkins who have stood up against lots and lots and lots of scrutiny, especially in recent times. These bogus, pathetic claims by these, these pathetic individuals, these disgusting cretins, calling him such a bigot and such an evil guy, trying to ruin and damage what little left he has of his career after he made such a strong impact on the world, calling him some stup- transphobe or whatever the hell. These people are, these people are bonkers. Um, You know, the moment you let half of these people in, of course, the movement's going to die. But I admire Dawkins very, very deeply as well. He is the most famous atheist in the world, and he he has contributed to the acceptance of atheism more than anybody else, I would argue, in world history. Um, Sam Harris, of course, taking on radical Islam, especially in 2014 through 16, 17, um, not giving a damn about politically correct nonsense. Um, and the stupid claims that you have Salon and Slade and other sources paint him as Islamophobe bigot who wants to nuke the Middle East or whatever the hell. Um, yeah,
0: yeah. He, so, that one paragraph in the End of Faith he will never live down. He'll no, never get out. No. He'll, he'll never get out from underneath the shadow that. But he's you cast. know
1: what? Maybe he should. Maybe he should just continue to fight where he stands. And and I I, that's mind. why I've also always admired um, Sam Harris, even though maybe maybe him and I might have a few political. Um, disagreements, but there are also so many others, like Douglas Murray is a good one. Um, Looking at the old works of Madeline Murray O'Hare, when she ran American Atheists, despite her imperfections, she had some problems. Um, Sean Faircloth, um, when he was one of the executives behind the Secular Coalition for America um, back in the early 2010s. Um, Student activists like Jessica Alquist, who, very similar to me, fought for her rights in high school when she was in Rhode Island. Um, Lots of people uh, I've admired, but but um boy this is bringing me back these are these are my days <laughs> it, it, it it's yeah. pretty much all these people who i listed and countless others who who really shaped me as a person and who i am today um, my life mm-hmm. is atheist activism my life is secular activism my life is these two culture wars you know the the culture war against against religious dogma and the acceptance of atheists and now the culture war against social justice and political correctness and wokeism and crt you know these people got me Oh and Bill Maher. I'll cite Bill Maher as well. These people got me to, to where I am politically, intellectually, culturally, uh, internally, um, to do the best that I can every single day to save our civilization. Yeah. So intentions Pitchin, uh, being a good one. Right at the top yeah, of the list.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, um so for the time being now, so we're coming into twenty we're almost to twenty twenty two uh somehow yep. some way unbelievable how quickly I know. this year goes by i think it's just a a, uh, symptom of getting older probably but also i think a symptom of just the COVID and all that um but what uh what is what are you passionate about now like what is your primary focus um you've mentioned a few things but where is it that you are really trying to drive atheists for liberty um what's what's getting thomas out of bed every morning uh, What's well, getting me work. out
1: of bed right now are changes that we're making in Atheist for Liberty. Um, we have expanded a bunch of programs that we're doing already. We have a live streaming series that, we're, that we do every other Thursday where we're interviewing very famous guests from all over the culture war. We're trying to really establish a very nice, rich profile here on the net. Once we do that, once our, our membership programs start to increase, increase, increase in value, we will have even more um resources to put into conference exhibitions engaging in our own events in real life um maybe even establishing chapter programs uh the the beginning of afl is really still here but we've entered a whole new renaissance and that thrill of what we have coming up even in just the near future really does get me out of bed in the morning
0: that's great that's great um so where can people find you online like i know you mentioned uh you know Atheist for liberty are there other outlets or other places people can, yeah so
1: Atheist for liberty for, um well uh, lastly i want to say again thank you so much for having me on um on the program this was awesome i really appreciate the chat if you ever want me on again let me know we'll try we could try to fit it in i i don't think that'll be a problem whatsoever i really did enjoy this interview a lot one of my one of my favorites actually um That's great. i really appreciate that riley because you and i seem to have Uh, very similar backgrounds at least as to how we came to where we are today um you can find uh, Atheist for liberty at atheists please everybody if you're watching this join Atheist for liberty it's one dollar a month 12 bucks a year for our standard membership all the membership benefits are on our website you can click the join us button right in the center of the home page and get involved in what we do. You'll get access to our Facebook members group. You'll get access to our Discord server. You'll be able to join our volunteer committees. Be a part of what we're trying to do here, um, both in person and online. And again, that is 12 bucks a year, $1 a month. Okay, and if you want to donate even more, you can. We're a 501c3 tax um, 501c3 nonprofit organization. We stand for free speech, free thinking, and freedom for all. We really want to do what we can to to win the culture war here. Um, we're also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Getter, um, YouTube, uh, pretty much every social media platform you can think of. We have a presence on the vast majority of these platforms. You can find us at Atheist Liberty. Again, that's at Atheist Liberty. That's where you can find us. If you're interested in me, I'm getting involved in various sectors of politics, culture, and I'm trying to bring AFL into nearly every sector as to where I am. You can find me at SheedyTom. Hey,
0: everybody. Riley here. I wanted to quickly say the last 30 seconds or so of the podcast, just us saying goodbye, was corrupted, both the audio and video. So big thanks to Thomas for coming on the show, and I'll see you all in the next episode.